Yeah, kids, you're, uh, you're in here today. Um, it's Family Sunday. Every fifth Sunday, when we have fifth Sundays, we keep the kids in here for a uh, more family-friendly kind of uh, service. So, kids, you're with us. Kids, uh, you, don't, you may not know this, but we've been uh, doing a series called I Dare You. And so every week we've been looking at different ways in which uh, the Bible encourages us to be courageous people, to be brave. Um, and when, when I uh, was younger, I definitely didn't think of myself as brave. Uh, I always kind of felt like other people were brave, braver than me. And so if you're a little one here and you don't necessarily feel like you're the most courageous person, well, that's okay. It's not a bad thing. Um, but, you know, it's something to lean into, something to, to grow into, to be the kind of person who's courageous. And uh, we're going to see a little bit of that today. Uh, about probably the early 2000s, mid-2000s, uh, World Poker Tour became a thing. Uh, some of you may remember Daniel Negrano. The, uh, he was like the first superstar poker player. Um, I didn't know a whole lot about poker until that happened, but I, I found myself enthralled by watching these live tournaments of people uh, just like going at it for, you know, huge pots, million-dollar pots uh, in Vegas and all around the, uh, the, the country and sometimes the world, and seeing just like the most gutsy moves. Uh, to be a poker player, you, you have to be, you have to have nerves of steel. Um, and one of the things I noticed uh, early on was that the, the poker players that are great, they're, they're not just uh, looking at their hand. They're also, they're also using their, their mind to know what the percentages are. So they've got like, they kind of know what the, the odds are in their head. And more than that, they also are, uh, they're, they're really good readers of people. They, they're, they're not just playing their hand, they're playing the people across the table. And they're guessing and thinking and figuring out what everyone else at the table has and then, like, you know, when the, when, the, when the moment comes, they're ready to bet. And even the betting itself is a way to figure out what people think they have or what they do. It's a very complicated, very intense. And then the, the greatest moment in Texas Hold'em is when one player goes, I'm all in, takes all of their chips, all of their money, puts in the center of the table, and then uh, the other players have to decide how to react. Now, that kind of courage that you kind of have, if you're going to be a gutsy, you know, you know, white-knuckle poker player, is not dissimilar from the kind of courage we're going to see today in, uh, in, our, in, our, in our text. The text is a bit long, and so I'm just going to kind of fill you in about what happens at the beginning. But I want you to kind of be thinking about how, like, you're in a situation where the odds may be against you. They look like they're very far against you, but at the same time, you still want to kind of go all in, and, and, and you're not quite sure how to work through that. And that's what we're going to see today. So the first thing is, you need to know that we're in about uh, somewhere between 500, 600 BC. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has decided that he wants to be, uh, that he is a god. Okay, And to prove that he is a god, he has built a statue out of gold. i got a picture here, a statue out of gold. And what he's going to do is he's going to ask all the people in the Dura, the province where he builds this thing, to come. And he's going to have everybody like smash instruments. And when all the instruments are making this huge you know, noise, <laughs> bing, bang, bong, everyone, everyone's going to bow down and worship the statue that is probably of him. Okay, so, so that's what's happening. So he's, he's got this plan. It's a nifty little plan to make sure that everyone knows he's worth worshiping, that he should be bowed down to. Now, there's a couple of people who realize that this is going to be a problem for three guys. 
uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because these guys are Jewish. They worship Yahweh, the one God, and they refuse to worship anybody else. And so when they know that when the, the music goes off, these guys aren't, they're not going to want to bow. Okay, so that's where we're picking up the story. Uh, let me let me read it to you. If you've got your uh, your phones, your tablets, um, you brought a Bible. You have a Bible in the in the front of the pew. We're in Daniel three, um, and here's what happens. They these guys these schemers uh, against Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, "Long live the king!" Your majesty, you gave a command that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, zither, lyre, harp, flute. Uh, if you're wondering what a zither is, I don't know. Um, I, I, there's some people think it's like you, you, you like rub like a, like a stick of sorts over like a rough thing. It makes like a, <laughs> who knows? Uh, that's possible. A lyre, I, my understanding is that a lyre is a harp, but I guess maybe a smaller harp. I don't know. The point here is not to figure out what every single one of these instruments is. It's to, to point out that what's going on is the equivalent of our worship bands is going up there and they're all slamming as hard as they can at whatever instrument. So John's like, you know, crashing the drums, and Estella is hitting the L minor chord, and and Tony Tony is going like, Aah! like it's straight out of 1984. That's what happens. And then what's going to happen? All right, anyone uh, bow, and every kind of instrument should bow down and worship the gold statue. Anyone who doesn't bow down would be thrown into the furnace of flaming fire. Now there's some Jews, ones you appointed to administer. These guys are high up. The province of Babylon, specifically Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys are their rulers in this, in this area. And they've ignored your commands. They don't serve your gods. They don't worship the gold statue you set up. In a violent rage, Nebuchadnezzar ordered them to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Is it true you don't serve my gods and worship the gold statue I've set up? Oh, it's okay, guys. If you're ready, if you're ready to do so, bow down and worship the gold statue I've made when you hear the sound of the entire worship band going all off at once. But if you don't worship it, you'll be thrown straight into the furnace of flaming fire. Then what God will rescue you from my power? I want to point out there that Nebuchadnezzar's throwing down the gauntlet. He, Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's a god. Okay? And what makes you a god? Well, in the ancient world, what makes you a god is you have power. You have power over people. And Nebuchadnezzar thinks he can make anybody bow down and worship him. And that makes him a god. And he thinks there's no god stronger than he is. And if there is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who's going who's gonna to stop you? Who's going to stop me? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered King Nebuchadnezzar, We don't need to answer your question. We don't need a defense here. If our God, whom we serve, exists, he is able to rescue us from the furnace of flaming fire and from your power. He will rescue us, your majesty. If you're following along in a modern translation, uh, verse 17 looks a little bit different, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But if he doesn't, know this for certain, your majesty. We will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Okay, now this is, this is intense. Because right now we're talking like there's... Literally flat fire. And if you're like my children, kids, you're fascinated by fire and it has burned you many times. So you know that fire is hot and not good if you spend too much time with it. Well, what happens next? 
Nebuchadnezzar is filled with rage and his face twisted beyond recognition because of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In response, he commanded that the furnace be heated to seven times its normal heat. He told some of the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of flaming fire. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bound, still dressed in all of their clothes, and they're thrown into the fire. A little parenthetical here. Uh, no, go ahead. Now the king's command had been rash, and the furnace was heated to such an extreme that the fire killed, or at least knocked out, the very men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to it. So the guys who are throwing them in the fire, it's so hot that they pass out and die. So these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of flaming fire. And King Nebuchadnezzar jumped back in shock and said to his associates, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? They answered, well, certainly, yes, of course, your majesty. He replied, look, I see four men unbound walking around inside the fire, and they're not hurt. And the fourth one looks like a son of God. Keep going. Nebuchadnezzar went to the opening of the furnace of a flaming fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. The chief administrators, ministers, governors, and the king's associates crowded around to look at them. The fire hadn't done anything to them. Their hair wasn't even singed. Their garments looked the same as before. They didn't even smell like fire. They weren't even smoking. Nebuchadnezzar declared, May the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be praised. He sent his messenger to rescue his servants who trusted him. They ignored the king's order, sacrificing their bodies because they wouldn't serve any god but their god. Now, that's a pretty intense story. It's intense because the action is really clear. I mean, honestly, how hard would it have been to just bow down and pretend to worship the stupid gold statue. You don't have to believe in it, right? Why wouldn't you just kind of go along to get along? Who wants to get burned up? Who wants to be lit on fire? I once uh, was, I was lighting the fire at one of those gas fireplaces at my mother-in-law's uh, house because it was like, you know, it was 64 degrees and I wanted it to be about 68. And so I, I turned on the gas and I kept trying to click the, the, the lighter, but it just... This didn't go, and so I just kept clicking, 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 clicking. Finally, I got it, and my eyebrows were gone. I was like, whoa! My knuckle hair, all gone. And there was the smell of the burning of my chest hair. It was a a bad deal. And I was like, I never want this to happen again. Why wouldn't you just do the simple thing? Just bow down. Well, they don't. And against all odds, right? I mean, would you really believe, would anyone really believe that what happened happened, right? That, that they get thrown in and they're okay. Like, that's a, it's a miracle. It's unbelievable. But what's really interesting about this text is not what happens, although that is really fascinating. It's cool. It's, it's the mind of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so I want us to take a closer look at how they think. What they're thinking. And we know this because we hear uh, when Nebuchadnezzar kind of goes after him, right? So let's look at that, um, that part where Nebuchadnezzar is like, Hey, if you don't do what I say, I'm tossing you in the, in the fire. What God will rescue you from my power? There's no God that can do that, right? That's impossible. And how do they respond? Very interesting. They say, if our God whom we serve exists, 
Uh, most modern translations say something like, if our God, um, whom we serve, is able to rescue us, he will. Um, it kind of ignores or turns uh, a Hebrew word into, uh, like, the is. But that's not what the, the Hebrew, the plain reading of the Hebrew is just this. If our God, whom we serve, exists, if God exists, then he's able to do this, right? If God's real, he can rescue us. He can do anything. He created the whole world, right? The question is, does that God exist? All right, we need a volunteer, some child who's interested. Anybody? You're, you're thinking about, uh, let me ask you a question. Is your dad strong? Okay, then you can come on up. Uh, you you, you got to be okay, Jeff, coming up here because, all right, you're good. Okay, all right, come on up, come on up. Okay. Oh, no, hold on. You're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just wait. Okay, what's your name? Scarlet. 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 Welcome to the party, pal. Scarlet, uh, what I got here is a pitcher of water. I have two of them, actually. Um, I want you to show us how, how buff you are. Okay? So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to hold it straight out and see how long you can hold it straight out. Just go ahead and turn around so that people can see your awesomeness, okay? Do you understand? So you're just going to grab the handle, okay? And you're going to see if you can put your arms straight out and how, how, how long. Go ahead and hold it, though. No, oh, 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 no, 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 just one hand. Just, just show us how strong you are. Like, just put it out there. No, no, you got to hold it by the handle. Okay, try again, try again. Really extend that arm, though. Don't cheat. Oh, oh, dear. Okay, all right, well. Do you think maybe this might be a little bit too heavy for you? You're going to try again. All right. It's got to see your respect. Whoa, whoa. Don't, it's cheating if you get... Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> All right. Do you think maybe it's a little bit too heavy for you? Yeah. Sarah, let me ask you a question. Do you think your dad is strong enough? No. <laughs> Really? That's not how this is supposed to go. You're supposed to say, yeah, of course, he's buff. Okay, yeah. Of course. Of course. He's buff. He's buff. Well, let's check it out. Come on, come on up here, Jeff. Let's see what we got. Um, well, let me ask you a question. First, we're just going to see if he can even do it, okay? And then if he can, the real question is how long can he do it? So, sir, go ahead and just take that thing. It just shows that you can do it first. Straight up. Don't, don't cheat. There we go. Okay. All right. Okay. He can do it. Well done, sir. Okay. Okay. No, go ahead and put it down for a second. Scott, how long do you think that your dad can do that? What do you think? Like 30 seconds? One minute. One minute. Okay. Uh, I think I have, a, uh, I have a countdown here. Do we have the countdown available? All right. So we're going to put the countdown up here. 60 seconds. This man truly is. All right. On your marks. Get set, go! Well done, congratulations. Scarlett, what did you learn about your dad today? He's 
buff. He's buff. That's right. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. You can sit down. Thank you. All right. Whew. Now, here's the deal. Scarlet, when you know, she tried that thing, and it's heavy. I mean, I, I think this probably, it's probably like, you know, somewhere between five and ten pounds. Um, that, and for, you know, for, for a kid, that's kind of that's tough. Impossible, really. And then at the beginning, she wasn't sure. She's like, is my dad able to do it? Uh, maybe. I've seen a few things here and there that indicate yes, maybe no. But in the end, she saw that he truly does have a strong arm. An arm mighty and powerful. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they understand that that's what God is like. Their God has a strong arm. He's mighty and powerful. And not only can he hold things out, he can save with that arm. He can rescue. He can do anything. And so the first thing they tell the king is like, oh yeah, if a God like ours exists, then you better believe he's able to save us even from these flames. That's the first thing um, that we're, our, our first point today. I dare you to believe that God can rescue, can save, can deliver. Our God is not a God with a weak arm. Our God is a God with an, a mighty arm. The question, though, is will he? So look at this next, this next bit of the text. They say, they say this, they say, if our God exists, O king, then he can rescue us, and guess what? He will rescue us. Uh, the, the Hebrew there is a little bit, um, it could also be translated, may he rescue us, or let him rescue us. So it may be that they're like saying he will. It might be that they're kind of saying, God, do it. Do it. Show the king what's up. Because they're in a battle with the king. The king doesn't think there's a God strong enough to save them. They're saying, yes, there, yes, there is, and may he do it. So you need another volunteer. This one involves a Nerf gun. Yeah, come on up. All right. Oh, wait. You need to bring your dad, too? Okay, bring him up, too. Awesome. Yeah, you can't do this alone. Now, you think... Wait, hold on here. Your name, sir? Noah. This is Noah Malapard. Your name, sir? Steve Malapard. All right, Noah and Steve. Here's the deal. Uh, Noah, have, have you heard the story of William Tell? Never heard about William Tell. Okay, this is a cool story. So this guy, William Tell, he was a, uh, he was a sharpshooter with a crossbow in the uh, 14th century. Okay, so this is like 700 years ago, 800 years ago. And uh, he was a master of the crossbow. And so he was a, his king was an evil guy, okay? But he heard that William Tell was really good with a, with a crossbow. And so the king says, I want to see how good you are with a crossbow. So you know, you know what he does? He says, I want you to give me your son. And I want you to put an apple on his head. And I want to see if you can shoot that apple off without killing your son. So Steve, uh, why, don't, why don't you just come right over here. Right. I'm going to load this thing for you. Okay, now here's it. Now, here's okay, Noah, I just want to ask you a question. Do you think that your, your dad can hit that target? No. It's at least possible, though, right? Yes. Yes, it's at least possible. The question is, will he? What do you think? Yes. Oh, the faith. Hold on, buddy. The faith in your father. That's awesome. I wish we all believed in our dad that much. Okay, now here's the deal. If you really believe he's not going to shoot your face, then you don't need to close your eyes when he does this, okay? So you can just watch, and he's just going to knock this thing right off. Steve, little hint. If you half pull the trigger, you get a little target that comes out. So you might... 
be able to like just yeah you just have to just don't aim at him just try to get used to it a little bit <laughs> don't you do, no absolutely do it Okay, here's the deal. So uh, you may not know this, um, but when uh, so when William Tell did this, he um, he brought out two arrows for his crossbow, and so the king was like, "Why did you bring out two arrows for your crossbow?" And uh, William Tell said, "Well, I brought out one uh, to try and shoot the, uh, the the apple, and and I brought the second so that if I missed, I would shoot you." <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. No, no, Noah's like uh, Noah's like us, right? You know, there's a flaming furnace there, and uh, the question is not, you know, can God save? The question is, will He? I think for most of us, um, we believe that God can do anything. There are some of us out here who may not. Maybe some of you believe that God like just took off, and God can't do stuff. Well, I dare you to believe that He can. Um, But then there's a lot of us who believe, yeah, God can do whatever He wants. But we've been around for a long time. We've noticed that he doesn't always show up, especially in the ways that we want. And so we might be tempted to stop believing that he will. We might instead be kind of like Noah looking at, staring at that arrow about to shoot him in the face and thinking, I don't know if he's got this. And so, you know, for all of us, we have different things. For me, obviously, right now with my dad... Um, in subacute care with a traumatic brain injury, um, it's, it's very easy for me to say, yeah, I believe God can heal my dad, of course. But when I'm in there and I see his head totally caved in um, and deformed because his skull is missing, it's really hard for me to believe that God will. And so I dare you, in your situation, in your place, wherever you're at, I dare you to believe that God will rescue But then look how they end it. So first they say, they say, of course he can. Yes, he will. And then they end with this. They say, but even if he doesn't, know this for certain, your majesty. We will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Shadrach, Meshach, Bendo, they've been around the bend. They know that God doesn't always do everything that they want him to they believe he's going to show up and show this King Nebuchadnezzar that he's not in charge. They believe he's going to do that. They believe that he's going to save them, but they're aware that he might not. And they say, even if he doesn't, guess what? Only one person gets our worship. Okay, uh, any baseball fans here? Baseball fans? Okay, a little bit, yeah. Children, any children who like baseball? It's, it's like a dying sport, isn't it? Oh, you guys, do you even know what baseball is? Awesome, cool. Um, yeah, so my dad's a longtime uh, Los Angeles Dodgers fan. Lloyd Grimm, Lloyd, you may raise your hand. Lloyd is a f- fan of, of, the, of the, <laughs> the San Diego Padres. What a sucker. Uh, until this year. Did you know that they are, uh, they're one and a half games in first place in the National League West? That's unbelievable. Like, way to go, Padres. The last time the Padres had even a chance of doing anything at all was in the mid-80s. So it's been like 30 years. And, uh, and I remember that because um, their, their, their number one player back in the mid-80s was this guy, Tony Gwynn. You guys remember Tony Gwynn? 
Yeah. Uh, Tony Gwynn was one of the all-time greatest contact hitters in the sport of baseball. He, um, he had a lifetime batting average of like 339, so it, which is the highest in the National League history. He never batted below 309 in his entire career, and his career was 20 years long. The guy was an absolutely unbelievable hitter. Now, when I was, uh, when I was you know, five, six years old, somewhere in there, uh, I was a baseball fan because I hadn't, you know, grown up and realized what a dumb sport it is. And so I, I, I because my dad liked it. He liked it, and so I liked it. And so I, I followed baseball, and I collected baseball cards. Uh, do they still have baseball cards? Probably, maybe. Um, I collected baseball cards, and, um, and my dad at the time, I believe, was working for a company called Triple A. And at work, he met somebody who knew somebody who knew Tony Gwynn. And so my dad was like, he came home so excited one day, and he said, Tom, guess what? I met somebody who knows somebody who knows Tony Gwynn, and she promised that if we give her your tops baseball card of 1985 or whatever it is of of Tony Gwynn, she's going to take it to her friend, get it to Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn's going to sign the baseball card. And you're going to get it back. We're going to get Tony Gwynn's signature on your card. And I, I mean, I was, I was blown away. I was like, I can't believe, this is unreal. The Tony Gwynn, a card for me. You know, at the time, like, you go to these, like, places, you try to buy, there would be hundreds of dollars to buy these things. But, but Tony is going to sign my card. So I took my card, and it disappeared. And a week went by, and two weeks, then a month. My dad checked in, and uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's coming, it's coming. And uh, oh, sorry, Tom, we just got to wait. Another month goes by, another month. We're not going to get that card. My dad finds out that, you know, whatever friend had stopped being friends with Tony Gwynn and blah, 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 the card's gone. And, you know, for like a five- or six-year-old kid who was so excited, I was, just, I was just heartbroken. Because I trusted my dad. I believed in him. If he said I was going to get Tony Gwynn's signed card, I knew I was going to get Tony Gwynn's signed card, and then it didn't happen. And to this day, I remember the, uh, the disappointment of realizing, like, it's not, but what's so interesting is that, is that even in my disappointment, even in my sadness, I never for a second questioned the fact that my dad was operating in good faith, that he was really trying to make this happen for me, that, that if whatever happened, it wasn't because my dad was, was quitting on me. It wasn't because he, you know, had, had messed something up. I knew that he was good. I knew that he loved me. I knew he wanted this for me. And, and yet at the same time, it just wasn't going to happen. And so even though I was extremely disappointed and, and I, you know, just really crestfallen and, and, and very sad, I still knew that I loved my dad. And that whether or not I got a Tony Gwynn signed card in 1985, my dad loved me. And he wanted great things for me. And it was going to be okay if this wasn't one of them.
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They believe, like me, they believe, I believe that Tony Wincard was coming. And they believe that God's going to save them and, and, and prove Nebuchadnezzar wrong and vindicate himself. They believe all of those things. But they say, even if it doesn't work out, even if we get consumed by the flames, we're never going to stop worshiping our God. Because even if we don't understand it, even if it doesn't make sense to us, even if we can't fathom why what's happening is happening, we know he's good. We know he loves us. He's like a good dad. If bad things happen, that doesn't change anything about him. And so I dare you. I dare you to worship even if God doesn't do what you want. Even if there's a rescue or a salvation or a delivery, a deliverance that, that, you, that you think you need and God doesn't provide it, I dare you to keep worshiping him in the middle of that. And there's a reason for that. Just notice uh, that, that little bit about Nebuchadnezzar where he's looking into the fire and he sees four, right? We actually sang about this um, earlier. Let's uh, check that text out really quick. Nebuchadnezzar says, didn't we, didn't we send three men bound into the fire? The, the reason the text keeps using words bound and unbound is probably because it's showing the difference between Nebuchadnezzar's power and God's power, right? Nebuchadnezzar can bind people up. He can put maybe even metal chains on them. His strongest people can bind you, but, but God can unbind. Nebuchadnezzar can make the fire seven times hotter, but, but God can keep it from singeing you. Look, Nebuchadnezzar says, I see four men unbound walking around inside the fire, and they're not hurt at all. And the fourth one looks like a son of God. Well, as Christians, when we look back at this text, we recognize that, that the person walking around the fire was some manifestation of, of God's being. And we as Christians confess that it was the eternal son, the second person of the Trinity, the one who becomes a human being in Jesus of Nazareth, that somehow, in some way, that God was with those men in the fire. And it was God who was protecting them from being singed. It was God who was, who was making them their deliverance. It was God who was loving them in the midst of the darkest and hottest place. And what that means is, is whether God decides to rescue or not, the truth is that Jesus is always with us. That's the last point. Jesus is always with you no matter how hot the fire. And so I dare you, kids, adults, grandparents, great-grandparents, I dare you. I dare you to believe that God can. I dare you to believe that God will. I dare you to worship no matter what. And to remember that Jesus is always with you, no matter how hot the fire. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for being with us in the fire. We thank you for your, your strong, mighty arm. We thank you for your power. We thank you that you demonstrate it by rescuing us from sin and death in Christ. You demonstrate it by bringing healing and restoration. You demonstrate it by blessing and caring for your people. God, for all of us who, 
who are crying out for a rescue, for deliverance today, Lord, I pray that we will believe that you can and you will show up again. But always have the mindset that no matter what, we keep worshiping, keep following, keep trusting, keep waiting, keep believing, keep loving you. We confess as a congregation, God, we will. Yes, we will. We will not quit on you. We know that you haven't quit on us. And that you are with us no matter how hot the fire. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.